You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Texas Senator Ted Cruz joining us right now. Let's get business out of the way first, Ted. We're hoping to force the White House to grease the skids and hurry up on some bridge projects, some international bridge projects, other trade projects. Let's start there. Give me an update on the efforts because I know you and, and other folks, including Monica de la Cruz and some border congressmen, Democrats as well, and, and even um, um, you know John Cornyn, you guys sent a letter to the White House on this. So give me an update on what's going on. Well, Sergio, good morning. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. Uh, this has been a major project for South Texas. There are four new bridge projects that have been proposed, either new bridges from Texas to Mexico or expanding existing bridges from Texas to Mexico. Two in Laredo, one in Brownsville, one in Eagle Pass. All four of these bridge projects are delayed and they're caught up in red tape in the Biden White House. And the reason is, in order to build an international bridge, to cross an international border, you need a presidential permit. The Biden White House announced they would delay all of those permits. The effect of it, they put additional bureaucratic roadblocks in place, and they've delayed every one of these bridges two, three, four years. That is having an enormously harmful effect on South Texas. So I've spent the last two years bringing together the South Texas congressional delegation. Uh, We started by sending a letter that I wrote. I was joined by John Cornyn. I was joined by Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, Monica De La Cruz, a Republican, Vicente Gonzalez, a Democrat, Tony Gonzalez, a Republican. All of us joined together, urging the Biden administration to change its policies, to approve these bridges, to stop the delays. The Biden administration told us essentially go jump in a lake. They weren't willing to do that. Jeez. So I authored legislation to expedite the permits and in particular to set a shot clock on the president, that the president had 60 days to grant the permits. And if he didn't grant the permits, they were deemed granted automatically by operation of law. Okay. My legislation got bipartisan support in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It was adopted. The full Senate at the end of July passed my legislation with an overwhelming bipartisan vote. It's expected to be signed into law by the end of the year. But in the meantime, President Biden could grant these permits today. He could do it right now. He doesn't need to wait for Congress to fully pass the legislation, but he's delaying, and the result is it's hurting farmers, it's hurting ranchers, it's hurting Texas small businesses and manufacturers. It's hurting South Texas to the tune of billions of dollars. Why would you say, Ted, that is it? Be, is it because it's Texas? And he said, "Oh, screw Texas! I, you know, I don't like Texas." Is that the reason? Is it politics, or I mean, what is it? Because obviously, this is affecting international trade, and we need those yeah. presidential permits. Why would you say that you know, this guy's dragging his feet? So, it's not clear. I suspect it is some knucklehead either in the White House or in the State Department, who's just a bureaucrat, who's an environmental extremist. And, and the way it works, to, to build any bridge, if you're building a bridge anywhere in Texas, anywhere in the country, you have to go through what's called NEPA Environmental Review. That's existing federal law, that's standard. Uh, to build an international bridge, you have a second requirement, which is you need a presidential permit from the president. Uh, the way it was done previously is the president would grant that permit, 
contingent on the completion of the NEPA review. And by granting the permit at the outset, it sped up the whole process. It, it, it chopped several years off the time it takes for the bridge to go forward. When Biden came in, he announced he would grant zero presidential permits for international bridges until after the NEPA environmental review was entirely completed. Now, that delayed every one of these projects by years. And it also made it much harder for them to get financing because the banks wouldn't commit the financing until the presidential permit was granted. And, and so it makes no sense. And, and, and it ends up, you know, Texas, we have roughly $800 billion a year of trade with Mexico. Mexico is an enormously important trading partner. Number one and, and, trade partner. No, it surpassed yeah, China. And, <laughs> my goodness. Granting these permits would, would create thousands of jobs would produce billions of dollars of economic activity for Texas. And here's the irony. It would also help the environment. What the White House is doing is hurting the environment. You, you go down to the International Trade Bridge at Laredo. On any given day, you will see a line of 18-wheelers extending into Mexico four, five, six miles, just sitting there because the delay is so long, and they sit there for hours and hours, spewing smoke and pollution and carbon into the air. They want to expand that bridge dramatically, which would speed up that traffic. Yep. It would result in a lot more trade, a lot more jobs, but it would also reduce the pollution because you don't have the 18-wheelers sitting there just spewing garbage into the sky. And yet these bureaucrats, they're just saying no. And so Congress, we're going to force them to change it. But, but this past week, I brought together the same South Texas congressional delegation, and we sent a letter to the president saying, why are you waiting on this legislation to be finalized. Grant the permits now. It's just, it's a signature and it's done. And at least so far, this White House has said to South Texas, they don't give a damn. Well, thanks to Senator Ted Cruz, my guest. We're talking about greasing the skids on some necessary bridge projects. We got the congressional delegation from the border, along with our Texas senators, trying to push the White House to approve this in a time when we see exponential growth, thanks to Reshore. A lot of industry coming back either to the U.S. or setting up shop in Mexico, expanding the maquilas. You got all this uh, increased Pacific traffic coming from boats into Mexico. You got industrial, big agriculture expanding their farms in Mexico and, and filling up the highways, sending those trucks this way to cross. And, and we need to speed up those projects, but obviously falling on deaf ears. And, and, and as far as environmental review, I'm a senator, I, I hear that there's going to be plenty of environmental um, officers or people doing the, the checks on, on, an, on environmental issues because uh, we won't be needing them anytime soon on the 20 additional, uh, 20 additional miles of, of border wall that Joe Biden all of a sudden says that they need to be built without environmental review. So what are these people doing in, uh, with all this free time? We, you know, they, they got you enough know, people. Look, as you know, what they're doing is this is a press release. This is all about public relations. I, I, I got to say, Sergio, I, I don't understand this president and the Democrats' view on immigration. It is utterly irrational. They believe, number one, in open borders and unlimited illegal immigration. We're over 7.6 million illegal immigrants since Joe Biden became president. As you know well, as everyone in the Valley knows well, you're dealing with it every single day. But at the same time, they block, they throttle legal trade and commerce. It's exactly backwards. We should be embracing legal trade and commerce, which is a good thing. 
which drives our economy, and we should be securing the border and stopping illegal immigration. They do it exactly backwards. I got to ask you, um, indulge me just a minute. Listen, I, I know you're talking with people at Customs, DEA, Border Patrol, and of the situation we have right now, and all the the crisis you know, around the world with Islamofascists going nuts right now. Uh, have you checked in with certain key people that you know on the border uh, to make sure they're doubling, tripling their efforts and monitoring for special population groups, you know, Middle East and Africa, and also radiation monitoring, uh, flights uh, at, at, the, at the beaches, on trucks, uh, ranch country? Uh, I mean, what, what, can you, what can you tell me? Sergio, the, the threat is enormous. Uh, as you know, I do a podcast every week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's called Verdict with Ted Cruz. For the last two weeks, the podcast has focused on deep dives on the war in Israel, what is happening, what Hamas is doing, the atrocities they're committing. And it's also focused on what you just asked about, the enormous risk we have. I believe today America is at greater risk for a major terrorist attack than we have been any time since September 11th, and, and it's a combination of the hundreds of billions of dollars this administration has sent to radical, theocratic, genocidal maniacs who want to murder us, combined with the absolute chaos of an open border. We have 7.6 million people who crossed illegally, but I'll tell you, we know that, 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 that there are hundreds of people on the terrorist list that have been detained on the border six times as many in the past year as the previous six years. And yet, they don't worry me nearly as much as the 1.5 million gotaways. Mm -hmm. Now, a gotaway is someone that they see, but they don't get to apprehend. And the reason those worry me is, is, listen, the vast majority of people crossing, Border Patrol doesn't actively apprehend them. They go and they turn themselves in. I go out on midnight patrols regularly with Border Patrol, Every time I go out, within minutes, we'll see a group of illegal aliens who will come and turn themselves into us because when they turn themselves in, the Biden administration says, where do you want to go? They tell them a city, and the Biden administration puts them on a plane or a bus and sends them to every city in America. And so if you don't have a criminal background, if you're you're coming illegally, you turn yourselves in voluntarily. The gotaways have a reason to run. That means many of them are criminals, they're murderers, yes. they're rapists, they're yeah. child molesters. Many of them are gang members, they're MS-13, or they're terrorists. And those gotaways, I think we have an enormous risk. I'm pressing this administration. The agents on the ground, they understand this threat, but it's their political superiors who will not do what is necessary to keep this country safe. And I think we are endangering civilians across this nation because of, of the Democrats irrational and dangerous policies. Thank you, Senator, for joining us again. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, this is The Sergio Show. From the Lawfare Project Senior Counsel, Gerard Felitti. Welcome back, G. The fight up in D.C. for a new speaker. Uh, the Republicans can't seem to iron this out, be done with it, put it behind them, move forward. Look, they only got about a year and change left anyway. In, in this session, why can't these guys lock arms, march, goose step, same direction. You know, the Democrats, boy, they give textbook examples all the time how to unite after you know there's a clarion call from leadership. Republicans are, you know, they're just stalling, and there's things that need to be done. And I, I don't know, man. I just think it's, it's, it's giving 
comfort, aid, ammunition to political enemies who would so easily say, look, at, look, the Republicans, the GOP, they can't govern. They can't get together, make decisions for the sake of, of the country. What do you say, Gerard? I couldn't have said it better myself. And the real problem is that that's percolating down to common voters. People are looking at this, disarray and saying in disgust, what the heck is going on? This is what we voted for. Maybe we should vote for the other guys. Because at least they've got their stuff together and look like they're getting things done, even if we don't agree with everything that they're doing. I mean, this, this, this is a major embarrassment. This is a party that should be united. This is a party that should have a cause that should be looking to achieve some legislative gains that should be achieving to make improvements in our lives, in the economy, on social issues, on the issues we care about. But instead, we see fractured leadership contests because what it boils down to a lot of this is people's egos. They can't put egos aside and govern. Nothing can be done. And I think that putting Jim Jordan up there is pretty much a waste of his talents because nothing's going to get done with the Senate being Democrat, the House, uh, the uh, the White House being uh, Democrat. I'm, I'm, I'm almost to the point now that just give it up. Sit down. Don't vote. Those 20 who are not having, just don't vote. Let uh, Hakeem, as I re- refer to him, Hakeem the Nightmare, Jeffries, let him be a speaker. G- give, give it all to them. Just let them have it. I know it's painful right now. We're at COVID spending levels, trillions of dollars just being blown all over the place. Let them have it. I think America needs to hurt a little more. So maybe in November 24, they can wake up and say, oh, you know what? We definitely need to shift gears. Uh, maybe by handing it over, handing the keys over to, to Hakeem Jeffries, maybe at congressional districts at all purple, like 30 or 40 of them, uh, maybe they'll wake up and realize that they, they, they need to stop voting stupidly and start cutting spending and secure the border, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think? Well, or maybe by giving them the keys to the kingdom, by having them uh, give them unfettered control of the House, of the Senate, and of the White House, they will do so much damage in two years that there will be, it'll take decades to undo it. Lord so that's, that's, the risk of, that's the risk of doing that, because we know what they're going to do if they get in there. We're going to see social pushes on everything from transgender and LGBTQ to parents losing their rights to have any say in their kids' educations to abortion. We will see such a, a rollback in any progress that Republicans have made in the last six, eight, ten years that it'll take decades to undo it. And that should be an impetus for the Republicans to stop this infighting. And now, Jim Jordan may not be the best person to lead the party right now. I don't know if anyone is, quite frankly. But we need to have a leader in the House yeah. who will at least get something done. Yeah, and I know there's some some folks tuning in right now search what the hell's wrong with you stop beating your coffee grounds this morning i'm just throwing it out there because i don't know how you're going to build consensus consensus on the gop side to um or maybe the argument is all wrong right now the republicans should be f- focusing on putting a goalie in place um b- putting some type of backstop because that is the only role of a very small Republican majority House is making sure that all the crazy stuff uh, doesn't go through uh, next year and, you know, for the next uh, 14 months or so that this um, House is in session. Uh, and that argument, uh, I hope somebody picks that argument, that battle cry, and say, look, we need a backstop. We need to decide on someone now for the sake of, of stopping the Democrats. Because 
something that has not been mentioned in any of the commentary, the investigations into Joe Biden, mm-hmm. the investigations into Hunter, all this stuff, if the Democrats take over, all that will stop for the next 14 months. And they need that, desperately need that. So I hope somebody picks up the battle cry uh, to just be done with it and, uh, again, seize the opportunity to become the backstop uh, and, and some type of filter up in D.C. No, you, you, that's absolutely right, and that's something that we—that's the only thing we can meaningfully do—is to conduct these investigations, is to show to show the American public what the Democratic Party is really about, what the Biden family is really about, to expose the truth about you know the elections, about the corruption in the Justice Department, to expose to the American people and get them to want to have, bring about change, to put more people in office the next go around, that we have that majority, that we can actually do something. But right now we can't. Having the House, all that means, we know, there's no bipartisanship to be had. We can't advance legislation. All we can do is prevent bad things from happening and expose the things that have. You willing to put some money on the table, take a bet on round two, the, the second vote, what may happen? Because I, I look, we had Jim Jordan and Kev Mack and everybody else making phone calls to the 20, uh, the intransigent 20, uh, who would not budge. They need about 16 of those. So you willing to bet that maybe they'll be done with it today? I am betting that they're not going to be done with it today. I think that Jordan and his team will be making inroads. I think that the, the McCarthy loyalists will come around. I think that a number of the so-called institutionalists, uh, the ones on the Appropriations Committee, a lot of them will come around. Jim Jordan has been having discussions with them, assuring them that he's not going to be cutting things across the board, that it's going to be very strategic. But you also have Biden district Republicans. That's where the concern is. You have people who are at risk of losing their seats if they're seen as voting for someone who is that radical on the right. So we're yeah. not going to see this resolve today, All I right. think. So gang of 20 won't move because they're in purple seats. And and the the eight, the gang of six or eight hard Republicans, I don't see um, I don't see them sitting down and providing um, or not voting or flipping their vote. So here we go. <laughs> Hang on to your hats, kids. We're, we're going to be busy up in D.C. for a while. Thank you, Gerard. Pre- appreciate you. From the uh, Lawfare Project, Gerard Felitti. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Checking the news on the court docket from Fox News legal analyst Fred TC. Fred, welcome back. So let's take a look at some of the uh, strange and bizarre stories. Um, let me get the, the, the weird ones out of the way. One title says, a woman is shocked that jelly beans contain sugar. Okay. Lawsuit. Broccoli bites. Yeah. So tell me about this lawsuit. What's going on? Well, so what it is is this class action lawsuit. Yeah, of so, course. Not, not to be a cynical jerk, but whenever you hear the words class action, like hold your nose. Because what ends up happening is, is that the jelly belly people go to their lawyers 
and they say, oh, this is a big case, and they charge them hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend it. And then the plaintiff's lawyers put in for money to get paid, and they ask for a couple million bucks. And the class members like this lady will get a coupon for $5 towards their next bag of Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. Okay? okay. So if you ever wonder what this is really all about, and I mean, I mean, come on, they were Jelly Beans. I mean, it's just, it's just absolute insanity. Unfortunately, which is the way it works, because it's never as cut and dry as we'd like it to be, there is a 2016 opinion from the Food and Drug Administration advising people not to refer to sugar as evaporated cane juice. So, <laughs> you know, but I mean, come on. I mean, really, I mean, look at the carbohydrates, really? lady. What do you think? That, you know, it doesn't have 10 carbs of bead because it's full of kale. Why do judges allow ridiculous cases to move forward? I mean, don't they have a say at, at the outset? Look they at do. And say, you know, this is stupid. I'm not going to allow this. Go find yourself another court. Why do these judges allow this stuff to move forward? Well, I, I mean, they shouldn't, and we don't know how far this gets. I mean, people. I used to joke with people: anybody with 200 bucks to pay the filing fee can file whatever lawsuit they want. Of course, you got to find lawyers that will take this case. Um, and I've been involved in cases like this before. Um, and so, the answer to your question is. You know, there are some times when these are legitimate cases. I mean, the class, there is a time and a place for class action lawsuits. Fortunately, or unfortunately, this isn't one of them. So, you know, we cast, you know, the net, you know, the rules by which judges dismiss these cases have to be drawn in such a way that legitimate cases can go forward. But it also means we have to put up with this kind of noise or junk, yeah. for lack of a better term, in the short term. Yeah, I just think discretion is at the bench. I mean, you surrender when you surrender common sense like this. It's like why? Like why even bother? I mean, it's you know just... what? <laughs> discretion is the better part of valor. Unfortunately, that doesn't show up always in the legal system. I got the story of a couple of Florida youth football players shot by an 11-year-old teammate. It, the argument over a bag of chips. My goodness! Give me the backstory. Give me the backstory to this. Where does this go? Yeah, so an eleven-year-old boy who they're playing pop Warner football. They get in an argument after practice over a bag of chips, and he starts shooting at his two friends. I mean, it's just—it's insane to me. First of all, it, it, you know, I've got more guns than I know what to do with. But I can tell you right now, my kids when they were eleven certainly didn't have access to any of them. Couldn't get near them. You know, so where where did this kid get this gun? And then I think we got a bigger problem, and that is, is we've got too many youth in our country um, who don't understand that this isn't a game. You know, you point a gun at somebody and pull the trigger, you can kill them. I mean, it's very lethal. It's dangerous business. And, you know, what's going on here that some 11-year-old thinks, that, first of all, that it's appropriate to engage, use deadly force to get a bag of potato chips? I mean, I love potato chips as next to the best next person, but there's got to be a line somewhere. What type of punishment? An eleven-year-old kid. I mean, what type of charges and and punishments? Uh, what fits well, the, an eleven-year-old? Well, you know, I mean, technically, if he was twenty-two, he'd be charged with attempted two counts of attempted murder. Yeah. So he's eleven, and you know, the, the you know the criminal justice system, unfortunately, isn't really geared towards dealing with, the, with with this kind of onslaught that we've seen over the last couple of years, if not decades of younger and younger people committing hor more horrible and more vile crimes. And so, you know, what do you do with this kid? You know, technically, as a juvenile, he'll get sent to a juvenile facility. I mean, speaking broadly, 
from state varies from state to state, but he'll get sent to a juvenile facility. He'll stay there until he reaches the age of 18 or 21 or whatever the number is in his state, and then he'll be let go. And, 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 it's and, the and, and to what end? I mean, one of these, I mean, you let him go, and he turns around and shoot somebody else. Yeah, it's the obviously counseling, but it's the adults and the 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 end of the adults in his, his circle of, of influence uh, of um, communication those are the ones that, that need to get some scrutiny by the courts and figure I, like really you said do. right they really do how the kid get point. the gun they, and what, yep. what led him to think like this that's just wrong this poor, this poor kid's going to be uh, i hope he gets the counsel that he needs yeah gun ownership is a basic fundamental right but yes. it's also a big responsibility yes sir yes sir and hey. there was another topic um, in the news Law and medicine intersection, new mental health training for some judges. What is all that about? This group of people out in Arizona State got together and decided that it may not be a bad idea, and I think on some level they may have a good idea, uh, to make sure that judges and lawyers have access to or knowledge about the different mental health issues. And it's hard to tell from the article whether it's about for the judges and the lawyers or it has to do with the people who are kind of come through our judicial system day in and day out who suffer from serious mental issues or mental health problems or mental health challenges. So it's, um, you know, knowledge is a good thing and knowledge is power and, it, it, you know, it helps. I mean, I, I, you know, I get a little concerned as a former federal prosecutor that, you, you, you know, you see our society willing be more and more willing to kind of let people off from the consequences of their actions. And I think that's a kind of a, as lawyers like to say, a slippery slope, yeah. dangerous. Yeah, we. So, uh, but short of that, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's like you know, you know I, we, we see it over forty years of practicing law. You know, I see it, we have a lot of lawyers, as, as I'm sure in other professions, who have um, substance abuse problems or alcoholism problems, and it's incumbent upon the bar to kind of help people deal with those issues. And I think the same is true with mental health. Good for Fred. Thank you for your time. Fox hey, News sure legal analyst Fred Tisi. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's not enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. The name of the movie from Dinesh D'Souza, our friend producing this film about the weaponizing of government agencies and, as you can see now, courts and prosecutor offices, more evident than ever before. The uh, movie premieres here October 23rd through the 27th, and we bring aboard the program Dinesh D'Souza, Boy, amazing times that we live in, Dinesh. I, it's amazing to, to think that America has become a banana republic. We, we get a political opponents that are shot down by the left, um, and they're using every wep- weapon in government and agencies and courts to get the job done. So anyway, t- tell me about this, um, this effort of yours to, to get this out to the 
to American voters? So the film is uh, it's called Police State, and um, and the website to get tickets is policestatefilm.net, policestatefilm.net. The movie is going to be uh, in theaters for two days, October 23rd and 25th, so next Monday and Wednesday. And then it's a, there's a virtual premiere, if you can't make it to the theater, on Friday, October 27th, where you can watch from, from home. Uh, look, it's a startling question, right? Because... Um, if I'd made this film even three years ago, people would say, what are you talking about? But we have moved so rapidly in this police state direction. You, you of course, mentioned the political targeting. But, I mean, there's so many elements of a police state. There's uh, censorship. There's mass surveillance. There's indoctrination in the schools and propaganda in the media. There is, of course, the effort to establish a one-party state to criminalize dissent to suppress religious liberty. We now have political prisoners for the first time in our country's history, you know, not counting wartime. So many of the features of classic police states, North Korea, China, the old Soviet Union, are now quite evident in this country. Is there any way possible to successfully push back reverse course from the trend that we've seen of late? I think so. I mean, for example, I'm waiting for this case called Missouri versus Biden to make its way to the Supreme Court. I think that they are in a position to root out a lot of this um, censorship. Now, the censorship is very complex and the government is very cunning because very often they don't censor you directly. They work through a middleman. They make a list. They hand off the list to these nonprofit groups like the Stanford Internet Observatory. And then those groups are the courier. They deliver the names um, to the digital platforms, uh, and the digital platforms do the actual censorship. So the government is trying to maintain, well, our, you know, our hands are not on the censorship. We're not doing it. But yes, they are. They're just doing it through surrogates. So this is something that can be, can be shut down by the Supreme Court. Um, there are other ways in which other aspects of censorship, uh, other aspects of the police state can also be curtailed. Obviously, it's important to win the White House next year. That's a good way to start cleaning up the FBI and the Justice Department. Yeah, but those agencies, well, the personnel, they're so deep. And there's so many people, so many different cubicles and, and departments and, and cities that they're working in. I mean, this entrenched uh, deep state, it seems almost impossible that you can drain the swamp. How do you start with all these different agencies? You know, forget the FBI and other investigatory agencies. We're talking about numerous other agencies that, that have these career bureaucrats that somehow need to be rooted out. We need a reset. And I don't know how that happens in one four-year presidency. Well, number one, it may take longer. And number two, some of it is not even in the public sector. It's in the private sector. Look at things that are happening, for example, the lying in the media, the indoctrination in the universities. Um, the, you know, the, the, the sort of campaigns of sort of blatant uh, sexuality and perversion that's being promoted in the culture. So there's a lot to, lot to deal with here. But I think the point to realize, and this is a point we do make in the, in the film, the film, of course, is called Police State, is the way in which these bureaucratic agencies get good people to do bad things. I mean, obviously, the ordinary FBI agent is not a villain, right? He's a normal guy. He's a job. He's got a family. So how do you get that guy to, you know, kick in an apartment at six in the morning, grab some old lady, 70 years old, pull her by the hair, wrestle her to the ground, put her arms behind her back and put handcuffs on her. If she resists, you pull her down the stairs, pull her into the street. Her neighbors come out and look at her. 
humiliate her. I mean, how do you get a decent person to do such an indecent thing? Well, the answer is that the police state kind of operationalizes everything. They say, okay, well, you don't worry who it is. You know, we're just going to point you to someone. We're going to let the courts deal with them later. Your job is simply to make an arrest. And so the FBI guy thinks, well, okay, well, you know, I'm just doing my job. I just want to get a bonus. You know, I want to Mm. retire with a pension. I want to be seen as a good guy within the FBI. I don't want to be a troublemaker. They're telling me that their priority is January 6th and not child trafficking. So, you know, I need to go along with what the agency's priorities are. After all, I work for them. So you can see here how very normal human motives are mobilized to very bad ends. Yeah, and and these folks that are in the seat of power and making decisions on what crimes to prosecute or not – they obviously show their cards. They show who they are when they decide not to prosecute certain crime and go after, needlessly go after, for example, all these cases against, against Donald Trump. It's, it's obvious to people who are paying attention that it's for political reasons. While, unfortunately, the, there's a huge trike, mushy middle, you know, some people call them independents, people really not paying attention because they're working for a living or for other reasons. They have no political allegiance. All they hear is of all these criminal cases and all these prosecutions and that Trump is criminal and he's back in court again, all these things. And that, that definitely uh, weighs down a campaign to try to get Donald Trump back in there to save the country. Well, you can see that this is my last film, of course, 2000 Meals was about election fraud. You can see that they're doing a different kind of election interference for 2024. They're basically trying to uh, convict and lock up the leading candidate of the opposition party. If this was occurring in any other country, the police state thuggery would be really obvious. And in fact, many of these same Americans who now uh, are silent about this would be screaming about it. So, yeah, you know, if they had brought in one charge against Trump and said, listen, he's got these classified documents, he's really stubborn, he won't give them back, we have to file a criminal charge to get them back, we could look at it. But the fact that there are 90-plus charges in multiple jurisdictions, a kind of shotgun approach where if we don't get him here, we'll get him over there, If we don't get him on the criminal, we'll ruin his businesses by getting him on a civil. I mean, this is so obvious, classic, naked police state thuggery. Yeah, you know, in several states and swing states, they did change election law. They tried to address the deregulation, the COVID deregulation of mail-in ballots, for example. I don't, do you think that enough work has been done by enough swing states, enough states to strengthen voting rules, especially when it comes to mail-in ballots, that we can at least hope for a cleaner election come 2024? Well, there has been some progress, but and there are some simple things that, you know, must be done and are very easy to do. And one that would stop the, you know, 2,000 mules in their tracks is simply to insist that every single Dropbox be, have 24-hour surveillance. And this doesn't require any kind of new legislation. It's already in the election rules now. So one of the messages of this new film, somewhat similar to my old film, is that is that Republicans tend to have a very kind of weak invertebrate psychology here. They don't realize the seriousness of the situation, either with election fraud or now with the curtailment of our liberties. I mean, look, when I came to America a generation ago as a teenager, you know, I could count on certain basic liberties to be intact, free speech, freedom of conscience, the right to assemble, the right to petition the government. And now all, and then, of course, equal justice and equal rights under the law. And now all those liberties are being curtailed. 
Look for his next movie, Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, online, look for policestatefilm.net. That way you can get tickets there. Hits theaters on the 23rd. You said for two days, right? 23rd and the 25th. Two days, right. Okay. Two days in the theater, October 23rd and 25th, and then the virtual premiere, Get 27th of October. And one-stop shop is policestatefilm.net. Thank you. For, yeah. Thanks for all the work you do, Dinesh, and thank you for checking in. This is The Sergio Show. Republicans still trying to figure out who they want as Speaker of the House. Another vote might be coming up soon, maybe today, and... Uh, Jim Jordan, who's the very conservative, leading candidate, only candidate right now, saying he's still willing to run. He's kind of was back and forth a bit. Anyways, willing to run. They might go into the weekend if they can't decide by today. He keeps, he keeps seems to keep losing a few more supporters every time that they vote. Let's flesh this out real quick, get some intelligence and expert commentary. I go back to Tarleton State University, Dr. Nathaniel Cogley. He's an associate professor of poli-sci up there. Welcome back. Dr. Nate, you know, the first question popped into my head as some of these Republicans, some very, very conservative, others that are you know more towards the middle, I, I guess, if you describe them that way, that don't want the super conservatives to, to take over. All these people standing on principle. Who, if anyone, do you think they, as far as voters, where it counts, who are they impressing or are they losing voters as a result? Um, yes, yeah, some of these members who are holding out uh, run the risk of losing uh, votes. You know, uh, some of them are from very Republican districts where, um, you know, the Republican primary is going to decide who the representative is. Uh, and, and they should, you know, they may face a consequence later for not getting on board uh, Jim Jordan. But some of them are from very close swing districts and they can almost present this as, you know they're you know they're in the middle and that's good for their district but it it does run some electoral danger for some of them especially the ones from deep republican districts yeah there's like they say there's like 40 purple or swing districts in congress d's and r's about 40 in total everybody else seems to be uh, voted in from democrats safe or republican safe district which means that, that would be the overwhelming majority of the Republican delegation. And having said that, if the conservative base back home, uh, they're not happy with their Republican not standing behind Jim Jordan. I think there's a, there's more of a danger of that happening than mushy, middle, spineless, squish Republicans, you know, being unhappy with their representative. Because after all, it's it's supposed to be a safe district that they're, they're from, and yet they did not get behind the fire-breathing Jim Jordan this go-around. Yeah, so a good example, John Rutherford, Florida's fifth. Uh, he hasn't voted for Jim Jordan in either round. He ran unopposed in the general election. I mean, this is a, a, enough of a there Republican district. De Democrats didn't even put up someone. So that seat is decided in the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. And uh, if he's going to be opposing Jim Jordan, you know, he'll have his hands full. But maybe, you know, there's something more important to him than, you know, the upcoming 2024 elections. Uh, you know, he's uh, on the Appropriations Committee. He's part of this Appropriations Committee wing that's, that's holding out and not supporting Jordan. There, there might be some a bit of genius there that is not expressed or has been expressed by Matt Gates, and I've been rather critical of him throwing that grenade into the entire process right now. But if you look at the calendar, the filing deadline, uh, the, the clock is ticking for anyone willing to uh, unseat, primary, a squish Republican, uh, either from Florida or Texas 
or other places that were supposed to be sending conservative Republicans, this is the time that they reveal their true nature and ideology to the voters, whether they stand for conservative ideas and principles, stand with Jim Jordan, because, again, the majority of the delegation, uh, Republicans and Democrats, they come from safe seats, and, and now the Republicans are being exposed for who they are, and we might have maybe a whole slew of, of individuals, patriots, who, who stand up in primary Republicans that, that do not stand up for Republican, small government, uh, lower taxation, more border security ideas. I think this is the time because I think the filing deadline might be about a month or so away for, for, to run for Congress. Well, I agree with you totally that one of the values here is just the transparency. And this was uh, kind of clear in the Trump administration. You know, he was able to get some policy wins. But, uh, you know, where the entrenched system beat them, at least he exposed it. We got to see a lot. We got to see the media a little more clearly. We got to see the, you know, the military industrial complex and the security apparatus a little more clearly and the Department of Justice a little more clearly. And he kind of really just uh, brought some clarity for people paying attention. And I think that's already the upside here. It's like, okay. Who are the 18 that in two rounds have yet to vote for Jordan? Who are they? Mm-hmm. What are their names? What are their districts? Yes. And let's uh, come up with that list. Now, it, it, it's yet to see how we actually play this out. There's two precedents here for history. Um, the, the 1923 speaker vote and the 2023 January vote, uh, it would, the precedent is that the nominee of the majority party can just hold out multiple rounds, get some concessions, and enough of the people holding out will vote for him or not vote at all, vote present or not vote at all, so that he gets over the threshold. That would be the good precedent for Jim Jordan. The other precedent here we have, though, is if you're a fiscally disciplined person who votes you know, for a fiscal, fiscally disciplined candidate and party, you should be used to being let down. You should be used to not actually getting your fiscal discipline in Washington, D.C., and somehow, some way, your side loses the ball game. And so that's the other precedent here. And, and getting Jim Jordan as speaker would be a major win for people who actually would like to start bringing some fiscal discipline to D.C. The speaker position, while he's not in a position to change laws because that involves the Senate and the president appropriations though. He is in a major position to try to change yeah. the game. And so and the second precedent is just, mm-hmm. we're, we're used to losing. So, I mean, yeah. do we actually win this? I don't know. Yeah. And well, he's still climbing a very steep hill. Um, let's say Jim Jordan does become speaker clock is ticking on the next in reality, the next continuing resolution because not having the Senate, not having the White House and all these Democrats and squish Republicans fighting him and the U.S. House, more than likely he would need, Jim Jordan would need to, you know, he would need to commit that unforgivable sin of, of negotiating with the Democrats for another CR because they have less than 30 days now for the next CR and much less figure out how to spend the money or figure out a new way to spend money because right now, you know, we're hemorrhaging big time. We're, we're still on old spending levels. Um, nothing has changed. So th- th- not a very bright future for the next speaker. No, it's a very tough situation to govern. But you- you're right that, you know, the two previous votes that have taken place, the situation keeps changing, right? And, and the closer you get to that continuing resolution running out, the more that, um, you know, these holdouts who actually are holding out for you know, trying to continue the current level of spending, you know, they're going to run into a position where, wait a minute, who, who's 
shutting down the government? Who's stopping the spending? Like, you know, Jim Jordan isn't running on shutdown. He'll, he'll give you 90% of what you want, you know, or 95, or there's some nuance there in terms of, you know, what spending package would, would be put together, but he would put together an, an appropriation bill, you know, they'd fund, you know, you know, much of the government, most of the government. So it's like the, the sit, the pressures will change as the situation unfolds. Cause you're right. This is a dynamic situation. Thank you, Dr. Nate. From Tarleton State University, Dr. Nathaniel Cogley, this is The Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. So you got all these medical reports that keep saying that we're getting fatter in this nation. We have a, a growing obesity epidemic in this nation. Well, I think that epidemic would be easily solved. You get up and walk around and you know, stop eating cake. Just eat less every single day. Dr. Sue Dakotis, she's an expert in helping people manage weight and address the issue of weight gain and, and weight loss as well. So what do you make of this epidemic, as they call it, of weight gain? Is it just because we're sitting in front of a computer? We're sitting, we're sitting uh, more often in front of a computer compared to previous generations? I wish it were that easy. I think it's much more complicated than that. I think a lot of it is something called insulin resistance. Now, it's kind of you have to ask yourself, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is our lifestyle making us fat or are we fat because of our lifestyle? You know, like what, what came first? A lot, with insulin resistance, a lot of times there are genetic factors. Um, it certainly could be things in our food. But a lot of it, it's not really up to us. Some of us really can't lose weight um, when we employ the right lifestyle, when we start exercising, because we're insulin resistant. So a lot of times you're not going to take the fat off. You're not going to have effective weight loss where you're actually losing fat and not muscle until you fix the insulin resistance. So I don't like it when people feel it's their fault. A lot of times they're eating more because they can't stop themselves because they're insulin resistant. Wow. And your blood sugar is fluctuating and that triggers hunger in the brain and you can't stop. So... I think we have to fix the problem. And as you know, we have these new medications available, Ozempic, which is semaglutide, and we have Monjaro, um, which um, the chemical name is terzepatide. And these medications are extremely effective at treating insulin resistance and controlling appetite and helping the person regain a healthy metabolism again. What creates insulin resistance, if you could describe that? I think after you gain a certain amount of weight, you inevitably become insulin resistant. Insulin has to get sugar into the And I think there are definitely genetic factors, too. You inherit this, this tendency, and then you gain weight, and then you become more insulin resistant. And that's when lifestyle changes no longer work. 
I mean, I think there are chemicals in our food for sure, chemicals in our soil. So it's a really, really big problem. I don't think 100 years ago, very many people were insulin resistant. And now as a population, we are. And it's even happening in Europe. You'll see in Europe now people are getting heavier because their food is changing. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was going to ask you. What is it in our food then? What happened in the past generation? uh, Many different. Oh, I think that, you know, we put a lot of chemicals in our food um, for a lot of different reasons in our soils to make things grow better and our fertilizers. And then, of course, when we started with fast food, but even our meats have been processed. So, but the thing is, and that's a big, big topic, but cleaning up the food supply is very, very difficult. And that's beyond our capacity right now. So if we just treat the problem, which is insulin resistance, we can make the patient, the person healthier. Can it, can it be reversed, this whole insulin resistance? Can it be reversed? Yes. I believe that it can be with a lot of these medications. Now, realize I practice in New York City. I, I do... Um, I, I do telemedicine, I do Zoom medicine, I have people from all over the country, all over the world, and they come to me when they can't do it on their own. I mean, these are people that tried lifestyle. Also, hormonal changes. You get to a certain point, your hormones change, mm-hmm. a man or a woman, and all of a sudden, you've always been fit, you've always been lean, and, and that weight just, just keeps cropping on and you can't handle it. So that's when I think you need to get medical attention. That's kind of scary, which yeah. which begs um, hormone replacement then for some people. Yes. For some. For some people, it's very helpful. But realize insulin is a hormone too, correct? So when we, we're really sort of helping insulin work better. And in my practice, when you come in as a patient, I put you on a body composition scale. It's not just your BMI, which is a measurement of height versus weight. It's how much body fat do you have? And that's how I know how insulin resistant you are. So your weight may not be that high. Your BMI may not be that high, but you have a tremendous amount of body fat. And that's when I know you need medical therapy. I'm not, I'm not just going to tell you to cut back on carbs and go to the gym because you've probably already tried that. Mm-hmm. So I think people have to realize there's help out there. It's not necessarily just their fault. It's not just lifestyle. It's not just fast food. Any website you recommend, Doc? Yes, I mean, my website, drsudakotis.com, you can learn about this. Um, and I think if you just Google insulin resistance, you're, you're going to find out in a lot of information that could be very useful. Okay, friend. Thank you for joining us today. She's up in New York. Thank you. Uh, she's a yes. weight loss expert and helping people uh, manage their weight, and more importantly, manage uh, their insulin issues is Dr. Sue Dakotis. This is The Sergio Show. 